everybody, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and Total Beverage in Thornton, as well as Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, of course, Arif Dean, to break down all things avalanche. Patrick Stedman on the controls. Patrick got a little bit of a shout-out, got some recognition. Somebody uh, heard his name on our podcast and said, yo, Patrick, is that you? I've been waiting. I've been doing this podcast, or a podcast, for seven seasons now, Arif, and I've been waiting for someone to do that for me. And Patrick joined us for six months, and there he is. He's famous. I casually walk around the gym. I walk around the mall where I live, and I'm just like, ah, I can't wait for somebody to recognize me. And nope, just one day, zero. Just- one day I want somebody to come up to me and be like, hey, aren't you the guy from that podcast? And I go, yeah, that's me. Sometimes no, sometimes I wear, I wear a Team Canada hat. I wear a Michigan shirt. I even wear my press badge and I just like walk around the gym. I'm like, somebody recognize me. Give me some recognition. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, shout out Patrick. I'm selling his autograph if you guys are interested. <laughs> He's suddenly the star of the show. But no, there's a lot of good stuff to get into. I mean, the boys are buzzing. The abs are on a nice little win streak and playing really well. The beatdowns continue. I want to start the podcast off with, uh, not sure if you saw, but I'm sure every NHL team is doing this as they go into Seattle. But the Avs sent Alex Newhook and some other guy to the fish market there and made him catch some fish. Did you? Did you? Have mm-hmm. you seen this? Yeah. Have you heard of this? I did. I said I did see it. I- I just got so grossed out by that. I mean, I guess that's why they have to send the rookies, right? Because nobody else wants to go touch fish with their bare hands. I think, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but it grossed Gabe me out. Gabe Landeskog's looking. He's like, listen, man, when I was your age, I had to sing an Imagine Dragon song. Go to the damn fish market. I'm not doing this. <laughs> oh, man, that Imagine Dragons callback. Dude, that's a good one. Random, random, random side note. I tried to find that on YouTube the other day. It's gone. Nowhere. Zero. No. I think the Avalanche saw that and Paul Stastny and Gabe Landeskog just looking in the mirror, singing, and Matt Duchesne, and they're like, somebody take this down. This is embarrassing. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a blast from the past. Like but, if, uh, imagine the Maple Leafs did that today with all their young guys. Like the, the Maple Leafs you know, kind of took it eased up on their dress code and people flipped out. Imagine if they went out and sang an Imagine Dragon song and then lost the next day for <laughs> two was, ah, these idiots are more interested in singing. It would be a Justin Bieber song, but, ah, oh, man, I don't know what the avalanche were. Okay, let's let's continue the no, podcast. No, I'm with you, though. Like, who, who who thought of this idea? I, I know what's going to get these Avs fans going this year. Gabe Landeskog lip singing in a mirror. What do you think? Somebody said, love it. I mean... It, he's he's a flawless looking man, but it was just everything about it was just hilarious. Paul Stastny, I think Jamie McGinn was in it. Everybody but Ryan O'Reilly, and everybody's like, "Oh, they're not treating Ryan O'Reilly like he's part of the core." He's which, not you know, in the band. Yeah, he's not in the band. Uh, well, yeah, another seven goal game to get to, Arif. I mean, these beatdowns, as lovely as they are to see, they're kind of getting boring. I'm not gonna lie. I legitimately fell asleep after the second period of that game in Seattle. I mean. Part of it was due to the late start. That's what comes with your first trip to Seattle is an 8 p.m. start, right? But I think the weirdest thing that threw us all off was the fact that Philip Grubauer didn't get the start. So I guess what did you take away from Chris Dreger getting the start in net against the Avs? I mean, that that kind of solidified my idea of taking the puck line, how we ended the last podcast, right? So Grubauer obviously has not been having a good season. And the Kraken, seeing how he's their guy... And by the way, he is their guy. Like he's the highest selling selling jersey. Uh, they treat him a lot like Vegas did with Marc Andre Fleury because you know he's a lot of guys got drafted to Seattle. Philip Grubauer signed a big contract to go to Seattle and leave a cup contending team, so they love him there. But man, has he been having a rough start to the season? Like Seattle, I don't know if you've seen the numbers. They are, I believe, the best or second best team in the NHL in shots against per game. So defensively, they're pretty good, but Grubauer cannot stop a freaking puck. So let's take a look at his last four starts before that avalanche game yesterday on Saturday. Against Chicago, lost. He gave up three goals on 18 shots. Against Minnesota, lost. He gave up three goals on 21 shots. Against Anaheim loss, he gave up five goals on 34 shots. So, you know, a little bit more shots, but five goals. Against Arizona loss, he gave up five goals on 22 shots. So the Chicago, the Minnesota, and the Arizona game, he faced 18, 21, and 22, and he gave up a total of 11 goals. 
those were the games where he was racking up the shutouts last year with the Avalanche. So Seattle's playing good defensively. Philip Grubauer's had a rough start to the year, and they're trying to let him kind of work through it. They're playing him as often as they can. Then comes game number 17. His former team is in town. The Avalanche are hot. They're scoring a ton of goals. Dave Haxtall said he at Morning Skate that he had a conversation with Philip Grubauer about why he's not starting him. And uh, someone tried to ask him, ask him, what did that, how did the conversation go? And he obviously chuckled and said, that's going to stay private between me and the player. But ultimately what it is, is Dave Haxtell was trying to protect his starting goalie. Philip Grubauer going up against his former team, who's red hot. He didn't want to send him out there and let him get shelled. So he had that conversation with him. He went with Chris Dreger. And then we all kind of saw what happened from there. I mean, I feel like you're kind of poking holes in Philip Grubauer right right now. I don't think he's played the best by any means, but I mean, if there's one thing that was evident from that game with the Avalanche is just the, the poor defensive structure and just, I guess, the personnel that the Kraken have back there. You even saw it. You know, I'm big into body language, and I love reading people's body language. And when Philip Grubauer got his chance to go in that game, and after he got scored on a couple times, I could clearly tell he was just annoyed and, and angry with the defenseman in front of him and the way they're playing. So I'm sure that's been an all-season thing. I haven't watched every single game, but considering the, the names that they have on that defensive group, that, that's got to be frustrating for him to be behind those guys now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I even said last week, we, or not even last week, three, four days ago, whenever we recorded, I said we need to kind of take a little bit of a chill pill and tone it down on the Philip Grubauer hate. You know, he's playing on a team that's not really that skilled. Um, but ultimately, I mean, the reality is that when Darcy Kemper wasn't having a good season, we admitted it. We said Darcy Kemper's not having a good season. Obviously, he's kind of learning the lopes, ropes with a new team and he's learning all the new systems and everything and how to interact with his defensemen. And Philip Grubauer is going through the same thing. And, and I understand that. But you still have to call a spade a spade. And the reality is an 875 save percentage is a rough number. Uh, that's not a good look. With the Avalanche, when he started off slow, he was in the 890s back in 17-18. Seattle's defense is not the worst. It's just they don't have the offense to kind of offset the other team. Granted, against the Avalanche, that was just a terrible game. Like, that was a bad look. They give up They give up a ton of high-danger opportunities. But, um, I mean, look, the reality is Seattle wanted to protect him from the Avs, and the Avalanche forced their hand. They forced him into the game, and if if, you know... I agree with you. We shouldn't. I'm not hating on Grubauer. I'm just kind of stating the fact, the numbers of what's what his season has gone or how his season has gone. But you look at the goal, that Eric Johnson goal, and you tell me that that's a Philip Grubauer that's dialed in, and I would never believe you. That's not a goal he should have let in. And Eric Johnson post game. Did you hear his comments? I didn't. What did he say? He said, "I've been practicing on Grubauer for three years, and I never scored on him. I somehow got one today." It was a good shot. He picked his, his little corner, kept it low, and, and just... It was. It, it was. It was a good shot. But is that not a save that Grubauer makes 99 times out of 100? Well, maybe not 99, but 95 times out of 100? Right. No, I'm with you. I think he looked a, a little bit disengaged. And even the score, I think it was uh, Abe Kubel's, right, where Grubauer actually knocked it in himself with his paddle. That's very uncharacteristic of him. So, yeah, I think we saw a different Grubauer. I think we saw a guy who was kind of upset and a little bit pissed off that he had to go into that game. I don't think it would have been any different had he started. I think the Avalanche st still would have shelled him, and I think the power play looked good, and, and the Kraken penalty kill was terrible. Um, so, you know, I think I just think Grubauer, you know, should feel a, a bit slighted by the move, by him not getting the start. Yeah, I mean, because in the end, he still had to come in and face his former team, but he had to come in cold, down 4 to nothing. With the tail between his legs too, right? Exactly, yeah. So if you're if you're Dave Haxtell, you needed to have that conversation with Grubauer and say no matter what happens, we're keeping Chris Dreger in the game. And we've seen goalies, you know, have to deal and endure that over the last few years. Like, I forget who the goalies were, but there was, I believe it was a Toronto Maple Leafs game. And I forget the goalies because they've had so many the last few years with Freddie and Hutch and, and Jack Campbell and all them. But there was a game where they rested their starting goalie because it was the first leg of a back-to-back -back knowing that their starting goalie was going to play the second day. And the backup got shelled for like six goals through two periods. And the coach just kind of said like, you're, you're going to have to deal with it. We need this, our guy to go tomorrow. We're down six to one. We're not going to come back and win this game. You're going to need to go in there for 20 minutes and, and you know, 
basically don't let them get to 10. Don't embarrass yourself, but you're going to have to finish the game. And that's a conversation that Dave Haxtell should have had with Gruby. And that's what Gruby should have guaranteed. Not that you ever want to look at your goalie or your coach and be like, well, what if we go down six, nothing in the first 30 minutes? Like, that's not a thing. Haxtell's gonna be like, what the hell do you mean? What if we go down six, nothing? Gruby's going to be like, well, I played with those guys. I know what it's like, (laughs) but you know, that's, that's, kind of the respect that Haxtell should have given his starting goalie is if this was, if this was, and obviously I'm over here just like making all these assumptions, if this was about protecting Grubauer, if this was about not letting the avalanche get one over him when they're red hot and Seattle is kind of stumbling, um, there should have been a conversation there of Dreger's playing the entire game barring injury no matter what. It kind of reminds me of last year when that same thing happened to Grubauer, right? He was kind of getting a, a heavy workload, and then Coach Bednar said, all right, we got a back-to-back here. Let's throw Miska in net, and Miska threw a stinker out there, and Coach was forced to put Grubauer back in there, and Grubauer kind of like, I thought this was my off day. What are we doing here? So kind of, kind of a similar— Didn't they end up winning that game, the game where Miska led in four goals to Anaheim in the first? It was like 4-2. I think they came back and won that. That was the Hunter Miska can't go on day, and obviously a couple days later they traded for Johansson. But yeah, it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting to see that the way that played out and just the, the dominance the Avs had, right? I, th- I definitely expected uh, a little bit more of a competitive game. I mean, to go up 7 nothing, and Seattle just showed no signs of life until the Avalanche basically were checked out, right? And um, I said this on the hockey show yesterday, but you look after each goal and, and whoever scored the goal or the coach, whoever the camera was panning to from the Kraken, they literally looked like they were about to cry. Like it was just one of those games that should have been ended during the second game. So it was just, just wild to see how dominant the Avs were there. Yeah, uh, should have been ended after the second period. The Avalanche, you said second game. Um, But yeah, the Avalanche just looked, man, they looked good. I mean, their power play was clicking. At one point, when they scored on that first power play opportunity, they were up to seven of their last 14 opportunities, you know, scoring on seven of their last 14 power play opportunities. And the crazy part is not only did they score on the power play, but their penalty kill got another shorthanded goal. So, you know, they kind of, the special teams in general has been doing great, but man, I don't remember the last time. I mean, I'm sure we saw it last year, but when was the last time we saw the Avalanche go up seven, nothing with such ease? Like that was, they didn't even have to try. And it felt like they were up seven, nothing like instantly. Right. I mean, I, I, look at the McCarr goals and that just was the total vibe right you can see especially the wrister that he put top corner nobody even touched it through a ton of traffic all the way from the blue line and it was almost it's just a hockey equivalent of a swish and of course like we commented last week no no reaction from him just kind of business as usual saying yeah that's what's supposed to be happening so I love the body language there from him and yeah it just looked so easy the power play even all the way from Nichushkin's uh shorthanded goal which we'll get into a little bit deeper here in a second but everything just seemed to come at ease and who knows if if it's just a product of things finally getting into place right the stars are finally aligning they've done hard work they've had hard practices they've worked on the right stuff things are just finally clicking and and going in the right places right now absolutely and and you know they obviously uh they took their foot off the pedal a little bit more than you would want to see at the end. And Seattle came back and scored three goals and the Avs seemed... Well, and the refs helped, was, right? Yeah, the Avalanche were getting cold for penalty every single time they came out onto the ice. It was it was a little strange of an ending there. But uh, I think the biggest thing for the Avalanche is, you know, this is a combination of, we've said it before, they're not playing the best teams right now, but they're using it to pad their numbers. But what is good when you're the Avalanche and you're following this team is... They're not playing teams like Seattle and Vancouver who's struggling and, you know, squeaking away three to one, three to two wins, two to one wins and uh, trying to build some points in the standings. They're hammering these teams like they should, because if the avalanche team that we saw against Washington played Vancouver and Seattle, they would not have looked this good. So things are starting to look better. They're getting into better habits, as Jared Bednar says, and they're going to use that and kind of run with it as they start to play better teams. But first, they got another team here that's not that good. So they can kind of continue to build the streak going into the holidays and then really take off when their schedule gets tough. A statement win, right? And uh, nothing builds camaraderie better than winning. And I think for a while there was a lot of tension there within that locker room. And now that they're not only winning but beating teams down, I think, uh, you know, the bromance is getting tighter within that dressing room, if that makes any sense. I I think Kadri needs to buy everybody some more Gucci slippers here. (laughs) 
But yeah, that was our first look at Climate Pledge Arena. What did you think of the building? I, I think my only thought about it is it's weird how on the ends they really dip it low and probably take out about, you know, 400 seats. If they could have just filled it in, they'd have a bigger crowd. But hey, it is what it is. And it's probably an awesome arena with how modernized it's gotten, right? Yeah, it's so cool because it's literally built down into the floor, like way, way, way underground. The only pictures that I saw were the pictures of the hallways where the players were walking and they look so badass. The black and like the beautiful lights and everybody just looks like they're like glowing in aluminum. It's so, so sick. And just the way the arena is set up where the very, very top of the arena, the nosebleeds is floor level. So there's windows going around that upper level, I think on one side of the rink, where you can actually be outside walking on the sidewalk and look through the window and say hi to the person sitting all the way at the top row. And then obviously the rink just goes way down underground. So it's really, really sick. It's it's a great setup. And uh, I've seen this from, I saw this from an avalanche reporter. I saw this from like seven or eight other reporters from other teams when their team goes into Seattle to play them. Everybody's writing about how the Seattle Kraken are given this like great, beautiful arena and are kind of like, you know, really changing the way the NHL looks. The double dumbo jumbotrons kind of in each of the defensive zones is pretty cool as well. So everybody loves that rank and I think it's very modernized and I love it, man. I, I think it's really cool. I think that that team and that franchise and that market is going to thrive. Obviously, it's going to take some winning to get there, but I think they're going to do really well. Yeah, I think that's something they took out of the Vegas Golden Knights page, right? I mean, I think Vegas really wanted an emphasis on the fan experience and the in-game experience because they didn't anticipate their team being very good. So they still had to have a fun game. And, you know, I think I really got that vibe because the crowd was into it. The crowd was energized and they, for some reason, were still cheering even as their team uh, was scoring those late goals and still being down by four. But, um, yeah, it looks like they have a pretty good product going on there in Seattle. I like it. It's still it's still home game number nine of a new expansion team, even though they've lost six straight, even though they're four twelve and one. You're not gonna turn on them that quick. It's not, you know, suddenly gonna be Arizona or Florida where you're like, well, maybe if they win, they'll be no, it's gonna take a couple years for that to happen, if not a year and a half. So fans are still excited to be there, man. Like this is a new team. Your city just got an NHL team. Like that's that's something to celebrate, even if you are down seven nothing halfway through the game. Yeah, that's got to get tiresome and a bit disappointing for their fans, right? Like, oh, man, Vegas got to be good. Why are we so bad? But uh, I saw a pretty good Colorado Avalanche contingency up there, too. So shout out to all the Seattle Avs fans that made their presence felt and made some noise and, you know, gave it gave it to the Seattle Kraken fan. Yeah, uh, I think that was really awesome to see for once a rink where the Avalanche were the road team kind of dominating because obviously we see that at Ball Arena way too much, but... It was really cool. I think a lot of fans from Denver probably made the trip out as well. Yeah, why not, right? That'd be a good little monumental event to kind of go and, and be a part of. That's pretty awesome. I think that's a, it'd be a good idea. I mean, I, I went to Nashville once and it was a lot, a lot of fun. So why not put Seattle on that bucket list, right? That'd be a good city and building to go check out along with the Islanders. I, I'm curious what the new uh, Islanders yes. building is looking like. Yeah, the new rink there looks really cool as well, man. It's so cool to see uh, the NHL coming out with these new arenas every year. Obviously, in Edmonton, they got one. In Detroit, they got one. Now Seattle, the Islanders. I'm probably missing one or two. Calgary's going to get one soon. Ottawa's going to get another one soon. Arizona, I assume something's going to have to happen there or they get relocated. So a lot of new rinks and, and just modern technology, and it's a new era of NHL NHL arenas coming out right now. Yep. Nice buildings everywhere. Not as nice as our friends over at Total Beverage, though. I was talking about how nice that building was. And everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they also deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster, that's the one I checked out, and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. That's Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Let's dive into some individual performances from that game. I mean, we talked about the broad stroke, a little bit of, uh, you know, just what it was like, the experience of going to Seattle for the first time. Let's look at the game itself and kind of highlight some guys that need mentioning here. And I think the first we could start with is Kadri continuing this point streak. I mean, how long 
how many podcasts in a row have we gone just pumping his tires and just talking about how great of a season he's having so far and how much he's contributing? I mean, I think his biggest contribution right now are the uh, face-off wins, right? Those ozone face-off wins, especially on the power play, he's coming in huge on those. Yeah, and uh, three straight games with two assists, three straight games with multiple points, eight straight games with a point, 14 assists in 14 games, 19 points in 14 games. He's top 10 in the NHL in scoring. Um, he's doing it all right now. He's 31 years old. He's obviously in a contract year. I'm not going to go into the whole spiel about him again. The face-off wins are massive because the Avalanche aren't the best face-off team pretty much at all, and his numbers have kind of been taking a dip year by year with the Avs, so it must be something in the water here. But uh, shout-out to Nazem Kadri. As long as this point streak continues, we're going to have to keep pumping his tires because he is playing out of his mind right now without McKinnon in the lineup. And and that's exactly what the Avs needed from their second line center, who didn't have a good year last year. Yeah, once again, I think we're seeing Kadri, you know, Bednar's hand get forced, and Kadri have to be put on power play one too, and he's making the best of it. I, I love the fact that he's not only in there making some noise, but he's a key factor. He's a key contributor. So once the uh, lineup gets healthy, I think it's going to be tough for Bednar to move Kadri off of that top power play. It's going to be tough for him to move him off the top power play. It's going to be tough for him to keep giving him minutes. I don't know how you're going to distribute those minutes because McKinnon plays a ton and he absolutely should. But uh, I feel bad for Tyson Jost and even JT Comfort whenever he gets back because you know Kadri's going to start eating up from their minutes as well as a centerman. Yep, and then another guy who had a big game, we kind of talked about him a little bit already, and that's Kale McCarr. I mean, two goals out of him and uh, one from the power play, kind of taking McKinnon's role there and shining at it you gotta love what mccarr's been doing especially since he started the year a little bit slow we're talking hey is is this guy hurt is this guy's wrist okay what's what's going on with him well now things are going back to normal for mccarr and suddenly he's got three goals and five points in his last two games and suddenly he is the only defenseman in the nhl that's played more than a few games that's operating at over a point per game Five goals, 13 points in 12 games. I think the most important thing right now for Makar's production is his goal scoring because that's kind of been the kick on him. Well, not the kick on him. Not like everybody's like, you know what would make Makar better? But ultimately, you know what would make Makar better if he scored more? His first season, he had 50 points in 57 games, only 12 goals. Last year in 44 games, only eight goals. He's already up to five. Like he's on pace for a 20 goal plus season. And he's doing it, you know, seemingly with ease. The goals are coming easy for him and he's just blasting them and no celebration, no nothing. Just business as usual for Kale McCarr, who at one point was as low as I think a minus 10, but now he's out, he's up to a minus four. So he's starting to pump his numbers up a little bit. And that was obviously his first power play goal. He's already got five power play assists, two game winning goals. He's doing well, man. He's he's growing before our very eyes, and that slow start to the season, like we said about Sam Gerrard last week, is all but erased at this point. Yeah, they say get pucks to the net and good things happen, and I think that's what goes on a lot with Kale McCarr. Sure, that one-timer goal was 100% meaning to be a goal, but the other goal he scored with the wrister, I think he he was just meaning to get that tipped or you know get some somebody to get a body and on it. And it went in. And it went in, just a soft little wrister going in for him. So when... Things are going right. Things are going right, right? I mean, it's the opposite of when it rains, it pours. I'm sure there's a saying for that that I don't know, but <laughs> um, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It, once you kind of get in that flow and things start going well for, for you, you know, it comes in floods. It comes it comes in droves. So I think that's what we're seeing from Kale McCarr. Just let's hope he stays healthy and can continue this streak for, for a long extended period of time here. Yeah, and it's awesome, again, to see him kind of relax a little bit, knowing that Devon Taves is there with him, kind of, really bringing that lineup together. And uh, then you have a second pair that has Sam Gerrard, eventually Bo Byram. And you got a lot of depth in Eric Johnson, who finally scored again. And and Jack Johnson, who's been having an excellent year. Jared pumped his tires at practice today. Ryan Murray, who does seemingly everything quietly correct. The Avalanche's blue line looks good, man. I know we've been saying this a lot, but every time I look at that blue, you know how you know how their offense was just so insanely stacked last year with Saad and Donskoy, and then you had a fourth line of like Soderberg, Belmar, and Comfer, and if he was ever healthy, Matt Calvert would have gotten in. Logan O'Connor couldn't even get a spot. Like they had a ton of depth at forward. The blue line feels like that this year, especially considering the steps that a lot of these guys have taken. And Bo Byram, the the kind of the resurgent year out of Jack Johnson, the return of Eric Johnson. They just seem like everything on that blue line is going well right now. 
I like that you take a second to point out Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray because I think those guys have kind of gone forgotten and for good reason, right? That definitely the mindset of if you're not noticing the defenseman, he's doing his job and he's taking care of business. And you're seeing that with Ryan Murray. I think he subtly became an upgrade from what they had last year in Graves and Nemeth, right? And he's playing really well. And with Jack Johnson, not making many mistakes. And coming into the season, I think those two guys were guys that we were a little bit nervous about. And so the fact that we're not talking about them is great for them, right? Great news for the, for the team and for those two players individually. And that's, that's a big compliment to Joe Sackick because when you're up against a salary cap like the Avalanche are, you need to find those diamonds in the rough. And I know Murray's making two and Jack Johnson's making 750K, but together they're making less than 3 million. That's the equivalent of less than what Ryan Graves alone makes. So, you know, those are the kind of deals you have to find when you're up against it and, and they're doing a good job at that. Another guy we got a shout out is uh, Andre Burkowski. Really feels like he's starting to get in the rhythm as well, kind of like Kale McCarr, and we saw two goals out of him. So uh, good on Burkowski for finally finding the back of the net, and just so Burkowski of him too, right? He's doing it in waves. I'm sure he's going to get another couple games here with some points, and then we're going to not see him for a handful of weeks. So um, let's enjoy it while it lasts, and Burkowski, uh, he's buzzing right now. He's got six goals. So he's got five goals in his last five games. But it's, like you said, it's split. He had two against Columbus, then a zero, then one against San Jose, then a zero, now two against Seattle. So five goals and one assist in his last six game, in his last five games. So I'll take that any day of the week. There was a practice last week with Burakovsky where um, you saw him kind of visibly frustrated on the ice, kind of not doing well, not getting his shot off. He actually took his stick at one point. He slammed it against the the glass and then broke it over his knee and like threw it over the bench and he was pissed. And then he came and spoke to media. And, you know, I mean, we ultimately, somebody had to ask him because it's the question to ask. But we said, was that a frustrated broken stick or was that a, the stick was broken. So I threw it over the bench. He said, no, I was frustrated. So something wasn't going right there, but, uh, to have him answer that up back with two goals against Seattle is, is good for him, good for his confidence. Six goals, four assists in 13 games, 10 points. It's what you want from your second-line winger who's known for scoring. And like all goal, goal scorers, he is a little bit streaky, but you just kind of want to see him keep that confidence up and not go into any more of those and frustration you know, episodes on the ice and, and just be the Berkey that we know and love. He's, he's a happy guy. Right, and that Berkey that we know and love is doing it with Kadri and Nachuskin, right? I think that's the biggest thing here. It's it's not him having to move lines. It's not him having to skate with McKinnon to finally get himself going. He's right where he's supposed to be, and he's producing, and that's great. And, man, it's got to be nice to be a pro hockey player and just have unlimited sticks because for a men's leaguer, that's a $300 twig that he's just snapping because he's mad. So, yeah, um, right. But, yeah, I guess, you know, how, how do we keep Burakovsky from dipping again because this is obviously a part of his game and that's a challenge for Jared Bednar right now right is hey we got to keep your confidence up and keep this skill level to a maximum because this is the Berkey we need and without without him being like this suddenly that second line looks a lot weaker keep on winning and keep him on that line with Val and Kadri I know injuries have made them have to kind of screw around with that top line a few times but it's a very underrated move that Jared decided to move Miko to center and bring Logan O'Connor up to keep that Kadri, Berkey, and Val line together. Um, I think as long as you keep those three together, they're they're going to continue to produce the way they are. Like all three of them are are doing well right now. And you know when when Berkey's playing with two guys like that, where he doesn't feel like he's the worst player on the team, he's just playing with two other guys that are producing and productive. Uh, I think that's going to be big for him. So. You know, hopefully there isn't an injury to Rantanen or Gabe or even Logan O'Connor where you're like running out of options where it's like, okay, it's either Megna or we break up the second line. At that point, you know you're going to have to break up that unit. But right now, the fact that those three are staying together, I think is massive for Berkey. And it's good to see them kind of building that chemistry that we saw even back in 2020 before the COVID pause. You know, those three played together for a little while and, and they were excellent. So it's it's good to see them, you know, kind of clicking all at the same time right now. Yeah, you mentioned a couple weeks back how Nazem Kadri came out to the media and and made it a point to say I've been I feel like I've been playing with different players every single shift, right? So I wonder if he also felt the need to vocalize that to Bednar and that's when Jared Bednar said, "All right, well, we're going to do everything we can to get you some consistency." 
and it's paid off. I think that's the biggest thing about it. It's paid off. So, um, yeah, you, you like what you're seeing out of that line. And with that line, let's get into Val Nichushkin's shorthanded goal. I mean, what is with this team scoring shorthanded goals? And Val Nichushkin, I mean, it was a very uncharacteristic goal for him, right? A snipe. Usually he's the one pick, cleaning up the garbage on a rebound or something around the net. But for him to walk in and kind of pick his corner and hit it, that was just wow. Whenever I see him skating like that in from center ice, he he's I've said it before, he's got that Evgeny Malkin look to him, just this big, massive Russian dude just skating at a goalie. He's got a hell of a shot, man. He's got a better shot than I thought. Uh, that was a hell of a goal. Um, he's quietly having a great season, and the Avalanche are unbeatable with Val Nichushkin in the lineup. They are 5-0. and oh. He played opening night. He disappeared for nine games. The Avalanche sucked ass for nine games. He came back. They're on a four-game winning streak. Obviously, wins don't get recorded for players. He's not the reason. He's not the complete reason why they're winning, but he sure as hell is doing his part. He's pulling his rope. Uh, so shout out to Val and, you know, shout out to him for not sleeping a lot because I, I heard from some Avalanche employees that the airplane got in from Seattle at about 2.30 in the morning after that Seattle game. What was that? Friday night? Well, 9.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, I walked into Val Nichushkin in Cherry Creek, walking with what looked like his mom. So the guy literally probably got like four or five hours of sleep and woke up and decided to take his mom out to go see Cherry Creek, assuming that was her. So dude doesn't sleep either. He's just a machine. He's always going. Hey, a little bit of celebratory retail therapy. I'm cool with it. He said, hey, I scored a wicked goal. I'm going to Cherry Creek. I'm going to go hit up the Burberry store and get myself something nice. <laughs> or maybe get some flip-flops for the boys, huh? Yeah, just not Gucci. That's Nazem's thing. Yeah, he's got to get something else. Um, so yeah, we saw Hollister joggers <laughs> for everybody. Remember the remember the Semyon Varlamov look, man. I can never forget that. <laughs> yeah, Russians. I mean, I don't know what a what a designer typical designer Russian brand would be. So I don't know. I guess we'll just leave it at that. Um, we saw Albe Kubel score his first goal in an Av sweater, um, kind of the one I brought up earlier, where. Philip Grubauer kind of knocked it in, but good to see Albe Kubel getting on the board early and making himself, I guess, welcome to the team, right? I mean, saying, hey, I'm here, boys. I'm here to produce, and I'm here to contribute. And he was just kind of just making some noise in front of the net, which is a good spot for him. Yeah, and I, I love when we talked to him again today. He was available for practice, and we said, how has it been playing with that line, you know, with Newhook and Jost? And he said, ton of speed, ton of skill, but we can bring more physically. And I'm like, man, I like that. I like that he's being critical of his own game, knowing that he just joined a new team and they won 4-2 and 7-3 in the two games he's in. And he's still like, yeah, we can do more. Yeah, former, you know, number first round picks, both of you. Uh, yeah, let's do a little bit more. And I kind of love that. I love that leadership quality to him playing with a couple of guys that were drafted Tyson Joe's top 10 and Newhook 16th overall. And he's the second coming of God knows what in this with this franchise. And Obey Kubel can still come out and kind of give some constructive criticism like that to the media, knowing very well if he's telling us that he's likely told his teammates that too. So, you know, shout out to him. I think he's, he's so far he's fitting in quite well. Right. That leadership mentality that they love so much within that dressing room. Right. I mean, I, I love the fact that he's saying that, and you can almost hear Jared Bednar speaking right out yep. of his mouth, right? Um, so, yeah, another diamond in the rough, too. Another a, another credit to Joe Sackett for finding those uh, missing pieces that other teams don't necessarily want. Another man's trash is Joe Sackett's treasure in this case, and I, I, love, I love the way he looks on this team, and I, I think the fit is going to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely, and he's never been a ballerina yet. That's the funny part. You know, he got in last week. He practiced at Family Sports, hit the road for Vancouver. Today, he said, I haven't even seen the rink yet. So tomorrow morning, you know, assuming he partakes in the optional uh, morning skate, will be his first time, you know, actually skating on ballerina ice. Uh, he said he's living out in Cherry Creek right now. That seems to be where they plant all the new guys. I know uh, Kiefer Sherwood lives out there, obviously, Val Nichushkin, Tyson Jost, Kel McCarr lives there. So a lot of these guys live in the Cherry Creek area, and Nicholas Obey-Kubel is another one. So tomorrow's going to be his first time skating at Ball Arena. Well, I hope his expectations aren't, you know, to match what it was in Climate Pledge Arena up in Seattle. He's going to be severely disappointed. But hey, if he's looking for a house, he should give me a call. I'm, I'm the king of finding <laughs> houses. Uh, but no, uh, as you're saying, um, there's some updates out of Avs practice. You're talking about being at Avs practice today, this morning. So I think the most notable thing is McKinnon is back on the ice in a red non-contact sweater, but it looks like he's going full steam. Yeah, he, he was in that red non-contact. He was skating with a couple of other guys that are injured, Bowen Byram and Martin Kaut. Um, we asked if it was possible for him to play this upcoming week, and Jared said, oh, I don't know, it's too early to say that. He said this is the second time McKinnon has skated. He skated Friday, took the day off Saturday, skated today, Sunday. So 
you know, is he coming back soon? Maybe, maybe not. But, oh, for sure, Jared said when we asked him if he's going to be on that five-game road trip that starts December 1st, which, again, December 1st is exactly three weeks to the day McKinnon got injured. So that would put him right on time for, you know, the return as expected. Granted, the Avalanche play the 27th, and then they have three days off before that game. So maybe he'll get in the 27th. If not, December 1st, it looks like we might see Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, 10 days away from when we're recording. This is Sunday, of course. And I don't know. It's just kind of, it, it makes me a bit nervous because you know he's a horse, right? He's just a workhorse and he wants to go and he loves being out there. So the fact that he's taken this long, three weeks to get back to 100%, leaves me a little bit pessimistic of him playing out the rest of the season. I'm sure there might be another gap where he uh, is going to have to miss some time, but hopefully they're taking their sweet time with that injury, just like all of them. I remember saying this about Kale McCarr recently and, and just making sure he's back to 100% because we don't want this to be a re-aggravation later in the season here. Exactly, and especially with the Olympics coming up, you know he wants to get back and get healthy, but you know also he doesn't want to rush anything because re-aggravating an injury that's going to keep you for two or three weeks right around the time the Olympics starts means you're missing the entire Olympics. So you kind of want to be a little bit careful with that. But obviously, I think a lot of these guys when they're thinking about coming back from injury right now, their mind isn't on the Olympics because it's still, you know, even though it's two, a little over two months away, it's, it's a lot of hockey between now and then. What is it? 25 to 30 games per team. Like you can't think that far ahead knowing you still have that many games between now and then. So, you know, like everything, I think the avalanche are going to take it slow. And if McKinnon comes back in November or December 1st from an injury, he's going to come back and we're going to know that he's healthy because there's no reason to rush him, especially when the team's playing this good and your center depth is doing what it's doing. So I'm not too concerned about him coming back, whether it's the 27th, the 26th even, or the 1st of December. And speaking of taking it slow, we all saw Pavel Francouz return to the ice and take some uh, normal shots and normal practice, but that's a guy I think we are all extra, extra, extra nervous about and really want to take it slow with him. Make sure he's ready to go at 100% as well because, man, you just you just feel deep down in your bones. You feel Some, so terrible yeah, for him. Something, something's going to happen to him again if they rush this, so just make sure he's back to yeah. normal and, and ready to go because he's such a pivotal piece, and I'm happy to see him. I'm sure he's happy to be back on the ice and super frustrated of what's going on to, to him lately, but love seeing Pavel Frantz, who's back. It's such a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, and you know, the crazy part is his injury at, at the preseason game that he played, it was a sprained ankle, and this is coming off of double hip replacement surgery. So it had nothing to do with the off-season surgery and the injury that kept him out for nearly 12 months. It was a sprain. And a sprained ankle? Like, that's not a hockey injury. Yeah. That's so random. It's very it's very odd. But here is where I am with Pavel Francouz. I know we talked last week about if the Avalanche need to have that conversation about bringing in another goalie. But, you know, he obviously didn't have a good preseason game before the injury. Granted, who, who on the Avs played good in the preseason? It doesn't matter. Who cares? But that's a guy... That, to be honest, I know you're going to think this is going to sound crazy. If he can get healthy before the Olympics, I like the idea of him playing in the Olympics. Because Czech Republic, you know, may or may not go far unless they kind of, you know, upset a bunch of teams. They're not as deep as they once were with the Marian Hosas of the world. Oh, wait, no, that's Slovakia. Sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up my countries. Milan Hayduks of the world. But um, if he can get healthy before the Olympics, play a couple games get his feet wet, go to the Olympics and really get a rhythm going, it'll be great for him coming back to the Avalanche out of the Olympics. If he gets injured in the Olympics, like it is what it is. He would have gotten injured by the, playing with the Avalanche too. If he's injury prone, he's injury prone, whether he plays on Olympic ice or NHL ice at Ball Arena. So if he can get healthy before the Olympics and go out there and really get a rhythm going if he's the starter for them, which I assume he'll, he'll play some games at least, that would be huge for him. And it will be huge for the Avalanche because when he comes back, that'll be a come back comes back from the Olympics. That'll be just a few weeks before the trade deadline. So now you'll start to really get an understanding of if you need another goalie or not. Almost like a second preseason for him. I like that idea. Really get a group, but on. a more competitive one, a much more competitive mm -hmm. one. No, I love that idea. And yeah, I mean he's he's going to be pivotal down the stretch. I mean we saw Johansson wasn't able to practice today, which I mean whatever, but. You know, I still just I still don't believe in Johansson, and if it's going to be a time where Kemper's not exactly looking at his best, or if he, God forbid, knock on wood, tweaks something himself, you got to have a reliable person back there. And the only person I have faith in that's with this organization right now is Francis. 
Yeah, and Jonas Johansson is again, we I've said this before. He does a good job at what he's expected to be and that's the third string goalie that plays 5 games a year. He's already at 2 and we are what 14 games in. So, do you need Pavel back? The fact that he's only at the fact that he's already at 2 is concerning, but the fact that he's only at 2 is also concerning because that means Darcy Kemper is being overplayed right now because you have no other options. And not only that, that your your plan B here isn't seeing much ice time. I mean, it'd be ideal for him to be with the Eagles right now, getting in game minutes and getting in game situations, and you know, keeping his mental strength up because that's the most important part of goaltending. And without those game like scenarios, you kind of lose it. So, um, yeah, it's a tough position for them to be in right now. So he, it's best for everybody for Johansson to be back in the Eagles, getting games there just in case. And Francis back with the team, getting games in. Um, not too many though. Let's ease him, ease him back into the workload here. And we're going to find out very soon uh, what the deal is with Frankie. But I will say the, the, that news today was excellent news. So it's good to see him back in skating. I, I still have hope for him. He's still an excellent goalie. Hopefully he can get back up and running. I do want to ask you a question, JJ. If it was Sunday morning and at 7.30 in the morning, you got a text from Matt Sokolowski, the Avalanche's team doctor, and he said, if he texted you at 7.30 in the morning and said, grab your shit and get out to family sports, we need you to play goal to practice for the Avalanche, what would you say? Oh, I would be there in a heartbeat. I'd be the first one at the rink and I'd be the one greeting everybody at the door, right? And that, that was my dream. I mean, there was a couple seasons back where I was there every single day. I was at every practice. Now, not so much, but, um, and that would happen. And I would see this old ass guy in net not stopping any pucks. And I'm like, guys, you knew I was coming. All I had to do was throw my gear back in my trunk from where it was last night and I could be a much better use to you here and a, a much better goaltender. But yeah, I know, I know where you're going with this. You're talking about the, uh, the, uh, octogenarian goaltender that they use, um, <laughs> anytime a goaltender goes down. Yeah. So Jonas Johansson was sick today. So Matt Sokolowski texted at seven 30 in the morning, Eric Shapiter. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And said, Hey, are you in town? Can you skate? Get over here at 11 AM. 52 years old. Eric Shapiter, a grandfather of two, packed his goalie gear and drove to Family Sports Center where he said his safe percentage probably dipped to about a 100 in the hour-long skate. I am quoting the story of Mike Chambers of the Denver Post. He wrote a story about this after practice today. And here's a great quote from Shapiter. He's six foot four, 220 pounds. He said, it's ridiculous. They score whenever they want. Today, I think 10 or 12 in a row went in or they missed the net. When they missed the net, I'm like, I got that one. And if they just muff it, muff it in there, I'll stop it. But if they fire it like they're supposed to, to the one of the four corners, it's going in. That's what they need to do. That's why I'm there. I'm better than the shooter tutor, which as we all know, is that artificial goalie that just stands there because I move, it forces them to shoot a little better. So this 52 year old dude got a call this morning when they woke up and saw Jonas Johansson was sick, which by the way, sidebar, he tested negative for COVID. So hopefully it's that. Um, hopefully it's not that I should say. Uh, this guy got a text at 7.30 in the morning and said, hey, come on out to family sports. Mr. Grandfather of two, you're going to, you know, face some avalanche skaters at practice. Pretty cool story. I guess so. I just, I've seen it in action and I can tell the players ease up on their shots when they're coming in on him and they, they still beat him with him with those shots. So I just think there's, you know, yeah, he's better than a shooter tutor, but not by much. I think there are better options out there. So I'm hating on Shapiter. His his save percentage couldn't have been as bad as the two guys in Seattle yesterday. So, you know, <laughs> the Avalanche were just kind of carrying on to what they did on Saturday and score a ton. Well, that's a good time to pause for our DraftKings read. And this one's a special Thanksgiving one since we got Thanksgiving this week, guys. I hope we all have a safe and fun Thanksgiving. But this Thanksgiving, be thankful for free bets. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a turkey day no-brainer that you cannot miss. New customers can bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point, just one point. All DraftKings customers can also get in on a new same-game parlay offer that's sweeter than grandma's pumpkin pie. For the Thanksgiving games, all customers get a risk-free bet up to $25. If your same-game parlay doesn't win, 
DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS to bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code MHS this Thanksgiving at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Time to preview who is next, Arif. I know we got a couple games ahead, and I know you're saying that they're easy games, but I don't think this is the time to be overlooking anyone. However, their next game is Monday night against the Ottawa Senators, who are returning from their COVID protocol and had, a what, three, four games postponed. And we remember last year how detrimental that was to teams. So another great opportunity to Colorado for Colorado to continue their win streak here and take advantage of another team and maybe another seven-goal game here. Yeah, I there's not a lot of good going on with the Ottawa Senators before the COVID break. I hope everybody's kind of healing from it. Um, so, you know, hopefully all is well. The, the Ottawa Senators practiced about 10 hours ago, so this morning, Sunday morning, and uh, took a flight to Colorado. So they're probably here in Denver now, and uh, they're going to play their first game in a little over a week, and it's going to be against a team that has 24 or 25, I've lost count, goals during a four-game winning streak. So, you know, hope for the best for the Ottawa Senators, but not too much because we are an Avalanche podcast, and coming back to Ball Arena, the fans are going to be ready, the Avalanche are going to be ready, Nazem Kadri is going to be licking his chops to tie his career-high nine-game point streak. Um, we might see in few more power play goals, a few more Kale McCarr slappers, a few more Burakovsky snipes, and maybe Eric Johnson gets another goal. I don't know, but uh, I hope I'm not completely undermining the Ottawa Senators, but this seems like a gimme for the Avalanche in a game that they need to capitalize on big time. I smell another puck line here. Just because of what you're saying. I mean, I think uh, COVID's a big thing, and, and it's hard for a team to jump into COVID, especially if they're jumping in facing the Avalanche. I mean, the Avalanche are not an easy team to go up against. So when this is your first game back in a while and these guys are flying past you and you're saying, whoa, are those the other players? Um, you know, I don't think you're you're set up for success here. So, yeah, I, I think there's zero reason the Avalanche should lose this game, and I'm with you. I want to see a lot more of the same. I want to see more power play goals popping off. I want to see the top two lines popping off, and I want to see some physicality out of the Obey-Kubel line now, since that's a thing. So, um, yeah, other than that, I, I just want to see nothing change from the last handful of games. Everything has been great. Everything can continue to be great as long as they just keep doing what they're doing. It's just it's so simple, right? Maybe we can get that Darcy Kemper shutout that you were yearning for the other yeah. day, that they almost got there against Seattle, but then they got cold for 25 minor penalties in the last four <laughs> minutes of the game for some reason. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's not much to complain about right now, man. This team looks good. That slow start is behind them. Hopefully they start to get healthy here. Bo Byram, Nathan McKinnon, JT Comfer, Pavel Francouz. Like those are four massive pieces for this team on a team that's got 24, 25 goals in their last four games. So man, not, not a lot of things to complain about right now from the Avalanche. It is 24 goals. I just did the math in my head. So not a lot of things to complain about right now for the Avs, and 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 they have a chance here to make it five straight against the Sens. Here's something to keep an eye on, though. This is the first time all season the Avalanche play four games in a week in a seven-day period here. So, uh, you know, all month long they've had two games a week. This one they're going to have four, and the games get a little bit harder as you get down the— Towards the end of the week, you got Anaheim, then you got Dallas, and then you got Nashville on the second night of a back-to-back. Not saying Anaheim, Dallas, and Nashville are good teams, but they're teams that have been playing well and they've been finding ways to win. So, um, yeah, can't let any no no time to let things slip, and it's good that they're kind of catching their groove at the right time here because this is going to be a, a pivotal point of the schedule, I think. Here, it's crazy. It's a holiday. Yeah, it's a holiday week, and they're going to play four times between now and six days from now. And then they're going to play and then they're going to have three days off and then they're going to go to Canada and play three and four nights and then another two games with just one day off in between to finish out a five game road trip. So this is where it starts, man. This is where you want to see those injuries get healthy and guys get in a rhythm and hopefully knock on wood, the team stays healthy moving forward. Yeah, it, it feels like a new start for sure. Uh, I know those are re- regular real games that were played, but this feels where the calendar really starts to get heavy and really starts to be more I guess, um, rhythmic and more like a a, a typical NHL schedule. And you're going to go into it feeling damn good about yourself right Mm -hmm. now. So it's, it's, things are looking good with the abs right now. I, I, 
let's let's all take a big sigh of relief right now. I'm, I'm jumbling my words right now. <sighs> Just from that early season struggles, I don't even want to know how terrible that's going to sound in our mics. But uh, yeah, man, whatever whatever was hurting them early is no longer hurting them. And let's see if they can continue it here right before Thanksgiving. Absolutely. So with that, let's prepare our descent on this podcast. You like that? I'm like a pilot. I use cool pilot words. Our descent here, that's our three stars of the week brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Star number three. I mean, shoot, we kind of already went through all three of these guys earlier, but they all three deserve a star for what they've done since our last podcast. So star number three has got to go to Nazem Kadri. I think this is the fourth week in a row Nazem Kadri receives a star from this show. Might be some sort of record. I'm not sure. We'll have to check the archives. But Nazem Kadri, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep playing the way you're playing and keep that uh, keep that style up. You know, I love the gritty, hard nose. I don't care what you think about anything. I'm just going to do me style. And the next time we give out these three-star rankings will be just a couple days before the Avalanche head out to Toronto to prepare for a game on December 1st against the Maple Leafs. Nazem's second time returning there since the trade over two years ago. So... Shout out to Nazem Kadri. Let's see if he can keep that point streak going heading into Toronto. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be huge for him. You know, he'd love that. Um, you know, to go into his hometown, his former team, and still keep that point streak alive and say, in your face, in your stinky faces. Star number two, we're going to Kale McCarr just because he's kind of resurrected his play as of late, getting two goals and doing them in just Kale McCarr style with no celebration, no emotion, just no look on his face and rosy red cheeks. So Kale McCarr's playing like Kale McCarr and I love it. Kale McCarr's playing like Kale McCarr and last week we talked about Sam Gerrard playing like Sam Gerrard. Devon Taves is back. Mm-hmm. He's doing his Devon Taves thing and the Avalanche defense is looking damn good and it's led by that young kid who's going to win a lot of Norris trophies in his life and he's he's in the running already for it this year and we'll see where he goes. Yep, absolutely. So star number one, we got to give it to Andre Burakovsky for finding the back of the net and putting together a nice little scoring streak here. And we got to give him the first star because we're trying to pump his tires here, keep his confidence high and let him know how great he's doing. And I know as soon as we publish this here in about an hour or so, he's going to have it downloaded directly to his iPhone or Android, whatever the hell he has, to his Spotify, to his Google podcast, to his Apple podcast. And he's going to listen to it and be like, yes. He's going to feel really good about himself going into Ottawa knowing that J.J. Jerez has named him first star of the week. I know I'd be ecstatic. if. Yeah, I agree. All right, Arif. Well, that's a good place to uh, wrap up for this weekend here. Of course, it's Sunday night, like I mentioned. So I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving week. It's a shortened work week, so enjoy that while you can. But make sure you're still working hard the first three days. You don't want to be a lazy bum and, you know, make your boss hate you. So work hard these next three days. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Arif, what are your closing statements here? Closing statements is we're going to be working just as hard. We're going to come to you with a recap of that Ottawa game so that we can give you guys a little bit of a breather for Thanksgiving as well as ourselves so we can have some turkey and enjoy our family time. And then we'll talk again next weekend, but we will be here Tuesday to break down what seemingly looks like maybe another avalanche victory against the Ottawa Sands. Say 7-0. 7-0 is what I'm calling. Oof. Probably not. I know I'll that's say 5-1. It's probably going to be, yeah, I think 4-1. It's probably more realistic, but 7-0 in my heart. But, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us this weekend, and uh, you made it this far in the podcast. Bless your pretty little heart. Hockey is for everyone. We out you.